So a plain reading of our gospel today may seem like it's taken from a Miss Manners column in the Washington Post. We may take it as a piece of advice on humility, yet Jesus offers us a curveball in the conversation when he speaks to us about inviting people to a banquet. Now, this change of subject is significant because weddings and banquets have been used as a metaphor to show the relationship between God and God's covenant people, between Christ and his holy church. And we as Christians, we celebrate and observe and, and partake of this marriage feast when we feast on the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that the church is supposed to be a place where people from a variety of social, economic, cultural, family backgrounds, you know, the whole of humanity, the rich, the poor, the lame, the able-bodied, the blind, the deaf, the mute, and people who are given physical abilities come and worship and gather as equals, as brothers and sisters, before the altar rail to receive the feast that God has offered. Yes, we as Christians are called to pass the experience of grace forward. So today what I'd like to do is to take the gospel and offer a story based on this gospel that I read recently. So here's the story. Jardy Lafleur was a deeply wounded individual. He faced many tragedies of his, in his life, but the tragedy that struck his heart the most was the death of his four-year-old daughter, Lily. After Lily's death, he becomes enshrouded with grief, and that grief penetrates the very depths of his heart. So whether it's at his job as chief inspector of Montserrat in the Caribbean, or as a husband, mixed emotions and feelings of deep guilt, shame, anger, all brew, brew within him, creating a drink of deep emotional pain. One day, a lifeboat arrives on the shore, and a vagabond comes to the station and alerts Lafleur about the raft. Lafleur discovers a notebook in that raft that narrates the life of ten people who happened to be saved. Nine of the ten were imperiled castaways at sea, were all, were all either guests or workers on a massive yacht owned by a billionaire, billionaire named James Lambert. Now Lambert had gathered technology pioneers, corporate leaders, glitzy celebrities, and even former presidents for a week-long adventure to spur each other on, to change the world. You know, think 
the World Economic Forum. Think Davos on water. And in the opening pages, we learned that this yacht somehow exploded and sank in the Atlantic off the coast of Africa. And all are presumed lost. Yet, as I said miraculously, nine of them escaped the explosion. Now, on the yacht, there was a distinct separation between the guests and the workers, you know, a, a class divide, a class system. Yet, on this raft of 10, the walls of class separation did not exist because they were deeply in need of each other for survival. The walls of class separation instantaneously were breached as these individuals were running out of drinkable water and the fight to survive. They all struggle. They all struggle as they are passing the time, trying to keep healthy amidst a blistering sun and, a bit, and trying to fend off sharks as they fight for food. Now, it so happens over the course of many days, one by one, all the survivors vanish, except for a little girl who had been silent throughout the story and the narrator, Benji. And then we get a glimpse into Benji's life. Benji was someone who worked on that yacht. He was a deckhand, and he is the protagonist of Mitch Albom's The Stranger in the Lifeboat. And Benji is the one who is writing this account to his beloved wife, Annabelle. Over the course of the story, we get a glimpse into Benji's deep pain, being the son of a mother who was a pregnant teenager in a small village in Ireland who had to flee that village because of shame. We read of her desire and then his desire to find the rich American who had left her pregnant and who had caused her shame and also contributed to their destitution. Benji and his mother come to Boston, and even in Boston, in this great land of opportunity called America, they face tragedy after tragedy, poverty, social exclusion, and then a paralyzing accident which led the mother incapacitated to, to work. And above all, a deep sense of humil humiliating rejection and shame. Bitterness and anger start to swell and infect Benji's soul, so much so that everyone he meets, he hates. There's so much anger in his life. The only person who touched his heart was Annabelle, for her lovely voice and her touch changed his hardened heart. Yet, as is revealed in this ongoing saga, Annabelle, too, left this earth because Benji was unable to pay for her treatment, which mired Benji in more anger 
so much anger that he wanted to take it out on the world. And so he, he hatched an elaborate plan to find himself onto that yacht with the intent to make that yacht explode. But somehow, Benji is one of the ten who finds himself on that lifeboat. And being on that lifeboat, a combination of survival remorse and a struggle to survive, to go on each day, began to haunt Benji. Hitherto, the, the little girl who had been silent actually opens her mouth and lends her gracious voice. After listening, hearing, observing, she intervenes in Benji's life. And with the voice of an angel, she reminds Benji that in life, there are beginnings and endings, for they are part and parcel of life. And the feeling of loss is part of why we are here on this earth. And in our earth, earthly journey, we are invited to appreciate, appreciate the people that we have encountered through the gift of human existence and cherish the world and the moments that God has given. For human existence is not permanent. She goes on to say, when people leave the earth, their loved ones begin to weep. Yet those who leave do not. For life must go on. And she tells him, you must learn to forgive yourself because you have a God of grace. At that moment, the burdens of guilt, shame, remorse begin to enshroud that, that enshrouded Benji were now basically replaced by a wedding robe a robe of redemption, a robe of hope, a robe of forgiveness, you know, the same sort of robe that the father puts on the, 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 the son who had left him in Luke 15. And Benji goes on with the unending knowledge that whatever his lot is in life, his soul is at peace. Yet as a response to receiving this new robe, Benji desires to pay it forward. Pay this experience of deep, loving grace forward. And so he begins to chronicle the entirety of his life. So that even if he dies, the raft when it comes ashore, that notebook will survive. And in that notebook, whoever reads it will find grace. And so, Inspector Lafleur, as he pages through that notebook, ultimately comes to a deep sense of peace. 
Beloved, those of us who are sitting here are privileged. We are privileged because we experience the richness of God's kingdom, God's care, God's concern, God's love and wholeness. And, wholeness. and we as people who have experienced this gift are called to pass it forward. We are called to invite people into that very experience. We are called to invite people who are desperately yearning to be touched by a living God who calls us into relationship. While, yes, our lesson today may seem like a lesson in etiquette, Jesus desires to cultivate a mindset among those who call him as Lord. Remember how we are invited by God to join this banquet table, to partake of the body and blood. We're not invited because of our merit, because of our wealth, because of our status. God could care less about any of those things. The invitation to drink from the fountains of living water, as stated by the prophet Jeremiah, is an invitation to participate in the liberation that God has in store from us, from the pharaohs of the world, from anything that enshackles us, to enslaves us to think that earthly power, status, and wealth can save us. It cannot. The only thing that can is an experience of grace. Because it is that grace that teaches our heart to sing. It is that grace when it appears that leads to giving our heart over to the God of life. Yes, church, we are called to feed on Jesus. And we are called to invite those in the entirety of the world because of the redemption we have experienced. We are called to go out into the disenfranchised, the Benjis of this world, knowing that we may not be repaid. In fact, payment, as Jesus implies in the Gospel, is not monetary. It shows up in our very act of hospitality, for it may be angels that we are ministering to without knowing it as the book of Hebrews reminds us. Our payment is the gift of presence. A presence where people can experience the living God in the sacrament. So as we leave this church in a world that evaluates people on how much money, power, social status, or the ability to influence others' choices. In the midst of that world, let me remind you that as Christians we are tasked to offer the path to salvation in Jesus. Because salvation comes to us in the form of God, offering the banquet table, not expecting any of us to be perfect, but loving us and meeting us where we are. Just like the early church experienced the risen Christ, we experience the risen Christ as we come into this table. 
and God invites us to live into God's generosity by eating his body and drinking his blood. So examine in your life, where do you feel burdened? Where do you feel ashamed? Is there something that is gnawing at you, maybe not to the degree as Benji, or maybe even greater than what was gnawing at Benji's heart? Has the roses of superficiality given way to a bed of thorns in your life, like Inspector Lafleur? If you are in that category, and I know I am, it is to us that this banquet table is open, for it is God, and not a particular church, or for that matter, a particular priest that calls you to receive grace. Our invitation is just to accept, to receive that grace, and to pass it forward. The question is, will you?